0: Good morning, everybody. Jesus once said, you will reap what you sow. Um, This has nothing to do with anything, but I feel I must confess to you this morning. So when I was a teenager, my youth pastor's name was Tom. And if we found out that Tom was going to be baptizing on a particular Sunday, we, me, And uh, a buddy, I won't write him out, Grant McCarson, we would sneak into the building where the baptism was held with a safety pin and uh, poke holes in the wader that he would wear. I don't know if you know that or not, but when a preacher baptizes somebody, he's wearing a set of waders so he doesn't get his clothes all wet. You with me? So we would poke holes in his waders and then watch... As he would come to the realization as he's standing in the water that his waiters are now filling with water. You Probably can't tell, but uh, the sound you hear on stage is my soaking wet sock squishing my jeans that weigh about 10 pounds heavier than they should because they're soaked. Uh, where, where is Carolina? Where are you, kiddo? About halfway through praying for you while we were standing there in the water, I'm coming to the realization there's a hole in my right leg and it's filling with water so i just wanted to share that with you as a confession that's why i look weird and it's going to sound weird if you're up here in the splash zone and it has nothing to do with anything other than to just say be careful how you treat your youth pastor because here i am a thousand years later reaping what i sowed Mm. darn it it is not awesome stop Tomorrow is January 15th. Do you know what that means? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what January 15th means. It means that if you're an American who made a resolution on New Year's, the majority of you will have quit by tomorrow. All right. (laughs) The majority of Americans who make a New Year's resolution on New Year's have quit dropped out or failed that resolution before January 15th. So if that's you, man, push through, keep on going, don't don't fall for the trap. But I find that interesting, that we try to make these small incremental changes in our lives by saying, well, I'm going to change my diet, or I'm going to change when I get up, or we make these small incremental changes hoping for something better, and most of us never get there. Because small incremental changes aren't enough. And if you follow Jesus, he offers a lot more than that. He offers something brand new. And that's what we're talking about this month is it's a new year, so we're going to talk about a new you. And here's the bottom line for this whole series. It's the worst bottom line of the year. It will get better. God loves new, and God loves you, and God loves to make you new. It's the truth. All those things are true. God loves new. There's over 150 times in the scriptures where God promises to do something or make something new. And we sang about it this morning. God really loves you. Are you aware of that? Like not just intellectually, but are you aware of how much you are loved? You are loved by God. There is nothing you could do today to make him love you more or to make him love you less. He loves you so much he sent his one and only son for you so he loves you exactly like you are today and he loves you too much to leave you exactly like you are today he has something bigger and better in mind for you and he has a process called new making you new so the biblical concept of new not the american new year's concept but the biblical concept When God says, I'm going to make you new, and God says, I'm going to give you something new, here's what he means. It's the word Kadesh, um, and it's a Hebrew word, and it means to take something that's broken or destroyed or demolished or in ruins or rubble. It's to take that thing and rebuild it and restore it, but not make it like it used to be, make it better than the original. This is what God offers when he offers new making something new when i was a teenager poking holes in pastors waiters uh, i had a 1981 toyota pickup truck you're impressed right good for you you had a truck so yesterday i love that truck yesterday i was watching youtube and there's this guy who uh restores old cars and he had a 1981 toyota pickup truck i guess that's a classic now i'm so old the cars i used to drive are classics So he's restoring this pickup truck and it came off of a shipping container, it was rusty, the paint was just awful, it just looked like a heap. It ran, but not very well. So he takes this thing and he spends 1,000 hours and over $100,000, he strips it to the bone, to the frame, all the nuts and bolts, everything that holds it together, he takes, takes it all the way apart, down to the frame and he resurfaces the frame, and he buys all new bolts, and he puts a brand new paint job on the thing. And he didn't just put that old engine back in, he had it rebuilt with a supercharger. <laughs> and when he was done, he, he literally said the words, this truck is now better than when it left the factory. That's the idea. That's the mental picture you should have when you hear God in Scripture offering something new. It's taking you or taking something, the the picture of something that was broken, worn out, worn down, destroyed, demolished, and rebuilding it, but not just replacing the parts, but making it better than it's ever been. And that's what God wants for you, this Kadesh so today we're going to look at this crazy, crazy, crazy old guy in the Old Testament. There were some weird dudes in the Old Testament. None of them have anything on Ezekiel. Uh, if you want to just read something and go, what in the world? What's going on there? Read Ezekiel. Let me give you a little hint. Um, two things involved. Nakedness and poop. That's all I'm going to tell you. You're going to have to look it up for yourselves, the rest of it. You're going to have to open your Bible and find out what I'm talking about. It's crazy. Ezekiel was crazy. Ezekiel was alive um, at the time when the Babylonian Empire came and took. Jerusalem by force and just destroyed Jerusalem. They knocked down the wall, they knocked down the temple, they knocked down most of the houses, and then they took most of the young and up and coming people, all the important people, anybody in leadership, they took them and kidnapped them and marched them 900 miles to the north and to the east, and they were never to be seen of again by the people in Jerusalem. So while that was going on, there were two people left in Jerusalem. Okay, you have the picture. Jerusalem is destroyed. It's literally rubble. Rocks are piled up where houses, temples, and walls used to be. And two men are left behind. One is Jeremiah. He's interesting. And one is Ezekiel. He's weird. Ezekiel is left behind to minister to the people that were left behind. They were literally left out. Uh, They had to live in ruins. They had to live in rubble. They had to figure out how to live in destruction. So it's hard for us really to understand how they must have felt. To just have everything taken from you, your home, the place where you worship, your political system, the leaders are now gone. Your place of worship is gone. You can't go there. Probably your home is gone. Your sense of security is gone because there's no wall. There's no safety. It's a terrible, terrible place to be. And in the middle of all that, God sends this man, Ezekiel, to do some weird stuff. But through Ezekiel, God speaks some amazing things. And I want us to read uh, just one little statement that God makes through Ezekiel today. I want to ask you, if you would, to just stand with me and just be old school and honor the word of God as we read it today. It's Ezekiel chapter 36. Get in your mind the picture of these poor people living in ruins, living in rubble. Everything's gone. Everything's destroyed. They are broken. And God says to them, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I love that you're reading with me. This is beautiful. And... I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this word through Ezekiel. Thank you for recording it and preserving it for us today. Help me to teach this with clarity, with honesty, integrity, and may your Holy Spirit, Lord, fill the distance between what I say and what is planted in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray amen you can have a seat this is one of the greatest promises if not maybe the greatest promise in the old testament three things i want you to notice one these people those particular people were going to get a new heart and a new spirit okay that's huge right if you consider where they were and how they were trying to live and how broken they must have been god said it's okay i'm with you i'm going to rebuild your heart and it's going to be better than ever. I'm going to rebuild your spirit, and it's going to be better than ever. And those are two big promises, but there's a massive promise in here. Did you catch it? There's a promise in Ezekiel 36 that is impacting you today, that is relevant to you today. It is an amazing, enormous, the impact of this promise we cannot fully understand. Did you, did you catch it? God said, I will put my spirit in you. It's different than God said, I'm going to give you a new spirit. He was going to rebuild their spirits. But it was bigger than that. He was going to, his promise, I promise, I'm going to put my spirit, the spirit of God. It's the same word, it's the same Person, if you will, person is the wrong word, but it's the only word I got. It is referring to the same spirit that in Genesis 1 was hovering over the waters before anything was created. It's the same spirit that guided these people's ancestors through a desert, uh, in a pillar of cloud, and a pillar of fire. It was the same spirit that uh, they were told would... Live would inhabit the space between this Ark of the Covenant and the wings on the Ark and in a place called the Holy of Holies in their temple. And now God is saying that same spirit is no longer going to live in a temple, no longer in a building. I'm going to put my spirit in you. That God himself would choose to reside in Put his spirit in his people. This, my friends, is a huge game changer. But God, who is never in a hurry, have you noticed? God just can't be rushed. And God didn't fulfill this promise for these people or their kids or their grandkids. In fact, God waited 500 years keep this promise because those people weren't ready they were not ready for God to live inside of them they were not prepared for the spirit of God to make their life his home they had sin and rebellion and brokenness that had to be dealt with first and it took 500 years for that to be dealt with you know why resolutions don't work for most of us Because we fail to deal with our own sin, our own rebellion, and our own brokenness. We just want something better. And resolutions fail by the 15th usually because we haven't done the hard work of dealing with our sin, rebellion, and brokenness. We're not ready. We're not ready for that new thing. I believe God wants to make you new. But a resolution is not enough. Going to church is not enough. Being a good Baptist is not enough. Reading your Bible is not enough. Perfect attendance at some religious thing, not enough. Hear me very carefully. Being with Jesus is not enough. Did you hear me? Do you hear me in the back row, Barry? Being with Jesus is not enough to get you to the new that God wants for you. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? You two people, don't miss that. Being with Jesus is not enough. And I love the awkward tension and the looks on your faces. Because that doesn't sound right, does it? I have proof. I have proof that being with Jesus is not enough to get you to new. Their names are Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, Matthew, Little James, Thomas, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. Have you heard of these people? These are the original 12 men who signed on, gave up their jobs and their lives to be with Jesus. And for three years, maybe three and a half years, depending on how you count time, for three years minimum, these men were physically with Jesus. Not a couple times, not an hour on Sunday, but every day, y'all. For three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, those 12 guys were with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They drank with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they camped with Jesus, they fished with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they argued with Jesus, they watched Jesus, they heard Jesus, they spoke with Jesus, they were literally with Jesus. Are you understanding? Like in the morning when they woke up, they could literally go out and give Jesus a hug. Jesus could pat them on the back and say, great job, Thaddeus, you did good today. They were literally with Jesus every day for three years. And it was not enough for them. It was not enough to make them different. It was not enough to make them new. In fact, if you just read through the Gospels, (laughs) these guys, (laughs) they were a mess. And when Jesus needed them most, when, when the stakes were the highest, none of them, could be found. Not one of them. When when Jesus needed them the most, some of them were taking a nap. When Jesus needed them the most, one of them decided, I'm not with you anymore, In fact, I'm going to sell you out for 30 pieces of silver. When Jesus needed them the most, some of them went back to their old lives. When Jesus needed them the most and when the stakes were the most high, one of them was so afraid of being seen in Jesus' presence, he ran away naked. It's in the Bible. One of them, one of his closest friends in the inner circle who promised just a few hours earlier, I will die for you, Jesus. That same guy, just a couple hours later, was talking to a seventh grade girl. And the seventh grade girl says, aren't you with Jesus? And he cussed her out and said, nope, never heard of him. These men, when the stakes were high and when it mattered most, there was nothing different about them than when Jesus first met them. They were the same people that they were three years ago when they started to be with jesus every day every day but these same 12 that's not true these same 11 guys 11 of these guys one of them really checked out right the 11 that were left in a very real way you're sitting in this building today or at your home wherever you're watching this in a very tangible way like you could trace this back you're here because those 11 men changed the world they risked and gave their lives to make sure that people heard the message of Jesus they traveled as far as they could they talked to as many people as they could every day their lives were on the line they risked their lives to make sure that the people in whatever village they happened to be in heard their encounter with Jesus I put in my notes that these men, these disciples, were transformed. Something changed. Something happened to them. They were transformed from zeros to heroes, from fearful to powerful, and from faithless to faithful. Something happened to these men who were with Jesus, and yet that was not enough. And then all of a sudden, now Jesus is gone but now they're willing to risk their lives, and all of them but one was killed in a horrific manner because they wouldn't shut up about Jesus. <laughs> Do you know what was different? Do you, know what? Do you know what changed those men? It wasn't being with Jesus. It was Acts chapter 2. That's what happened. The thing that was different was Acts chapter 2. Now, Dusty texted me earlier this week. And uh, as a good Baptist, I'm not supposed to talk about Acts chapter 2. So don't you tell anybody that I preached on Acts chapter 2 today. I'm going to get in big trouble. Here's what the Bible says, and here's what's different. On the day of Pentecost, now this is 50 days. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Jesus was crucified, all the believers, that's, Everybody who had been walking with Jesus and been with Jesus and ate with Jesus, they're all in this room together in one place. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. We can understand that, what that sounds like. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Do do you see what's happening here? Remember back in Ezekiel 36? God made this promise, I will put my spirit in you. But they weren't ready. Because their sin, rebellion, and brokenness had to be dealt with. It was dealt with on the cross. It took God 500 years to implement the process. And 500 years later, Jesus dies on a cross. And now his people are gathered in a room. And in Acts chapter 2, in the city of David in Jerusalem, or in in Jerusalem, in this room where the, the disciples of Jesus have gathered, God keeps his promise. Ezekiel 36 was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, 500 years later. And it changed everything. They were literally transformed. They were new. They were brand new. And so there's a formula for you math type folk. Transformation, or new, is being with Jesus, but that's not enough, Plus the spirit of Jesus. Are you with me? It's not enough just to be with Jesus. To be around Jesus people. To have a church. To study the Bible. Those are all. You have to do those things. But that's not what gets you new. That's half. The other half is the spirit of Jesus given to you. Now I have good news for you. Really good news. Since that day. Since Acts chapter 2, part of the new covenant between God and his people is when you receive salvation, you also receive his spirit. What a great promise, right? Carolina, who's a brand new believer, when she chose to give her life to Jesus and trust Jesus with her life, not only did she get salvation, not only did she get a home in heaven, God put his spirit in her. Now, I've got some stuff here. Can I just kind of show you? So, when you receive Jesus as your savior, you also receive the Spirit. And it is the Spirit, according to Ezekiel, that helps you follow God and helps you. Obey God. It is the Spirit that directs you in the things that are right. There's still a lot of room in there, right? The Spirit is in there, but there's still a lot of room. The Bible says those men were filled with the Spirit. The question for all of us should be, well, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Because God promised that it was His Spirit that would help us Follow him. It was his spirit that would guide us in obeying him. And so receiving the spirit is different than being full of the spirit. Are you with me? Does this make sense? So if you follow Jesus, good news, you have received the Spirit, but that that does not mean you are full of the Spirit. In fact, I would I would boldly say this most Christians are satisfied with. got it i got the spirit i'm good i'm good i get to go to heaven one day get to see my loved ones again one day all right but there's a whole lot of you left there there's a whole lot of rebellion there there's a whole lot of your own agendas and opinions and ideas there and god wants to fill you with his spirit so how do you how do you get filled with the spirit well you you keep following jesus you keep obeying jesus you surrender the parts of your life that aren't surrendered to Jesus. You surrender your finances. You surrender your time. You surrender your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. You surrender those things that you haven't forgiven anybody for. You surrender. And the more you surrender and the more you follow Jesus, the more spirit gets poured into you. Do you know why it's so hard for so many of us to do what the Scripture says? There's too much of us in us. And there's not enough spirit in us helping us. The cool thing about God, he doesn't force his way into anything. Into your life, he's not going to force his way into your life. He's not